time by to dive. Diving stations. Dive. Dive. Take her down easy. Hey friends, for this episode, our first episode, episode one of season one of the Protect Your Noggin podcast, we are going to start out by just telling you a little bit about who we are, what this podcast is about, why we love it, what this project is, and our passion for you know, the next phase of our lives. Uh, my name is Jeff, my wife Stacy is my co-host, and uh, let's get to it. to the Protect Your Noggin podcast. We offer lessons in outfoxing religious wolves so that we can all find deep peace and freedom. Go to our website at protectyournoggin.org where you'll learn how to be a part of the show, find show notes, and then also check out our other resources. Just so you know, we often address sensitive subjects that could bring up past traumas because we are not afraid to dig deep. But don't worry, we got this. All right, here we are, Stacy. This is our first. This is our first episode. Although that's not really true. Why do I say it's not really true? <laughs> well, we've done a couple of the recordings of the first episode. It just seems like it's like we just it wasn't quite ready yet. And well, it was fine for what it was. And after we recorded it, we've been going through so many new experiences right now that it felt like. Wait a minute. We need to we need to re-record it, the it first. It kept morphing. It kept what, what we were trying to accomplish, right? Yeah, I loved some of those episodes. Maybe we'll pull them out <laughs> you know, someday for fun. But the the idea is that these uh, this first episode is introducing what the show's about. And as we continue to meet with people and and do interviews and read and research and write, we started to realize that we needed to focus it. We were originally going to talk about all sorts of emancipation, mental, spiritual, and financial emancipation. But they all, they all fit together. They're right. all connected. But we decided we really needed to, to dial this in. It's about ways in which people can think differently or re-educate themselves and their families and loved ones about how to respond to all sorts of dynamics in religious communities and how we can allow this way of thinking to help us to have a healthier um, set of communities, if that makes sense. Right. And so we talk about where we're going to learn to outfox religious wolves, right? So we focused on the religious aspect of it. Right. Knowing that the rest all kind of will flow. when If, the, if your religious worldview will impact all these other areas of your life, your relationships, a, a, yes. your, your finances, there's just so yeah. many different facets. Jesus that... has all sorts of things to say about money. <laughs> and it's not just about being, you know, nice and charitable. It, it's about a certain way of being liberated mm -hmm. from a certain kind of enslavement. So there's all of these things are going to still play together. But we realized for a couple of reasons that focusing on the religious manipulation, uh, ways of uh, 
ways of getting trapped in authoritarian religious communities and how painful that is. And uh, we'll explain a little bit more about what we want to talk about on the show. But that's really going to be our focus. And, well, and, and in light of the, the these times, the, the, the Me Too, Church Too, there's like there's all these things that are uh, that are coming up, you know, coming out. Basically. Yeah, we're, we're talking about abuse, abuse in the church, um, and so it it just seemed like we're horrified by all these stories, right? And we're wondering, like, what what's the common denominator? How can this happen? How can it be this bad? The Protect Your Noggin podcast and all of our projects are really about this, and we'll get into a little bit about where Stacy and I come from professionally and in our life stories, but. What we're finding is that there's this big social problem, and it's particularly difficult for us um, in our our background and the work that we've done to see how many people over and over have been affected. Trembling older ladies on an airplane with me, um, watching a news story about allegations of abuse to to children to well, the, all these students that come pouring into your office for all of these, and that this is a good time I think for me to. Introduce, introduce a what, bit I, what I do. Yeah, <laughs> no, I've I've uh, I've been on you know certain kind of media platforms in the past, so folks uh, might be joining us for the first time, never met us. Uh, for others, we almost um, spent kind of five and a half years going through a whole long conversation about our lives, along with Dan Van Voris in the the Virtue podcast Virtue in the Wasteland. That uh, still people are downloading. I don't know how they <laughs> they find that, but um, that was a great time, and that was a, a lot of growth. And I realized. That, that I think Dan would say the same thing, that the process of that weekly conversation about these issues of culture and religion are really powerful. And he's, you know, he's doing stuff with uh, the Christian History Almanac and other mm-hmm. podcast stuff. And so the Soul direction, Solar Christianity, of course. And so then like what, what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go was to focus on this particular problem. But that, that's where, let me, let me actually introduce you first. Okay. If you don't mind. Can I introduce you first? Sure. So... You're Stacy. You're my wife. We've been married for 20 years. <laughs> 24. We got two two kids. One's a senior in high school. One's a senior in college. They're both going to graduate. And so the, and our and our oldest is recently engaged. engaged. We're very proud proud and pleased. And we've got a dog, Bindi, who's traveling around with us in a truck camper. I am on sabbatical. I should say, say this. And you're along with me. And, and we absolutely love our our uh, future, family, future daughter-in-law. Oh yeah, oh, no doubt. <laughs> And so, and so it's been hard because we're away from them a little bit, but I am on sabbatical because I'm jumping ahead. I am a professor, uh, but I'm on sabbatical this semester and we are practicing what it would be like. Would we be able to live in our truck camper called St. George, uh, Ford F-350 from 1995 on the top Lance of it. Camper. Lance camper on top. It's like a little living room that we take everywhere. Where are we right now? We are in the mountains of Colorado. Yep. And when, by the time this airs, I'm sure we'll we are always going to we're always going to stay just a little ahead of you. <laughs> but we're near Leadville and we're again we're practicing. We're seeing can we do these explorations? Can we uh, meet people, research, find interesting things as we, we are, travel around the country? We're fortunate enough to find a great area that still offers uh, access to our data. Yeah, we're free camping. <laughs> we're at a beautiful spot outside of Leadville, Colorado where there's free camping and enough uh, enough cell service for me to get some business done. Yeah. And but then a local dump station in Water Phillip. It's really nice. It's like Avion Water, right? Dear small towns of America, <laughs> feel free to be hospitable to boondockers and van lifers and RVers that are traveling through. 
we can on occasion. Well, Some we of us definitely, are vagabonds. We definitely We're all vagabonds. are patrons to the town. We, you know, right. we support been, the local community. We're coming and getting coffee yes. you know, so we can get the Wi-Fi and all this. But anyway, so you and I are testing out a different kind of life for when our kids graduate. Yes. Now, the second is graduating from high school but is going – um, probably to like a state university, not where I teach and probably not my town. Right. So, he, you know, we're going to be empty nesters and we're like 45. Yeah, we 45 find ourselves. No, no, not quite. Almost. Don't, don't age me any quicker than That's I all right. Am. You're in your mid 40s. <laughs> I'm in my, my mid 40s. Yeah. And, um, and so we're, we're, we're trying this out. And as we are, we're taking this opportunity to, to do our research and record our podcast. But also, I think it was important for us to really figure out what we wanted to say. And we, yeah. we had to take that pause. We well, almost jumped into it in June. We've been going pretty hard and, and for so several long. years, it feels so like we've long. been like, you know, we're like that with the, the salmon paddling back upstream or something, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, yep. um, and it, cause you know, the happens at the end of that. They just, they just die and get oh. eaten by bears. No, no, <laughs> but they had the babies. It's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We're fine. Anyway. Um, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where even though you teach, well, and we didn't go into the No, no. So let's, let's go back there. So, but I must say, yes, you teach theology yep. and it's hard to take a moment and catch your breath and think about what you actually do believe because your job has always been connected to religious education, yes. philosophy and religion. Yeah. And so it's been wonderful for us to sit reflect, catch our breath. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes just sit on a mountain as the, as the wind blows through our hair. All right. So getting back to the CV, getting back to the resume, as it were, um, Stacy, you, um, you have an interesting background. You've done a little bit of teaching at the elementary level, but the main thing that you've been involved in is, uh, first labor market research, helping to kind of understand what career opportunities are available for people after they've maybe Especially experienced. They've had disabilities. Yeah. Or, disability you know, or an injury. Injury. I was getting there. And then you were um, really for most of your professional life have been involved in um, uh, in in like nonprofit staff roles like director uh, of constituent relations. You've been involved in foundations and almost always it's been religious educational nonprofits. Correct. And so you have this kind of technical side. You've you're in those meetings where where the staff people get together, <laughs> try to figure out how to make this whole thing you're dealing work. With branding and <laughs> yeah. and uh, what what people would want to do to to co- co- contribute to an organization. Mm-hmm. What do they believe in? So you understand it from that side, and uh, but also I feel really bad about this because this is something we'll we'll deal with on the show as we go forward. Early on, you you wanted to study psychology. That was your passion. Yes. And you started doing that, but then we, you know, in our conservative religious circles, two things happened. First, your passion for psychology was bad. Yes, back yes. Back in the day, I've, Freud is 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 an antagonist. Freud, Sigmund Freud, the psychoanalytic guy, he's against religion. He says God is a is a wish fulfillment, a projection of our longings that are not met by our failed parents, all sorts of things, right? And and I think the field wasn't really given much credit and it uses a bunch of quackery. Too much feelings. And, yeah. So yeah, so so the very interest in psychology was kind of uh, an unfortunate thing culturally for <laughs> us in our little mm-hmm. And I, Yeah, I love studying how the mind works. I love studying human behavior. So you and, do that on occasion, but then ultimately I drag you around from place to place as I was pursuing my graduate work and, and so forth. And uh, and we got started a little bit earlier than we expected with our oldest. Mm-hmm. So you know the um, the life 
changed and it was fun but i feel bad because you were you know you're doing well uh, for one at one point at uh, penn it's a very prestigious uh, undergraduate school uh, fortunately you had the opportunity to finish your psychology ba mm-hmm. you did get it eventually because we finally wised up that it's not the <laughs> it's not the the demonic uh, field that uh, some had said <laughs> in fundamental circles of our youth and uh, you got to study with uh, Dr. Betsy Little yes, and others and awesome. really learned about, uh, I thought one of the things that that program had at Trinity Lutheran uh, was um, the, the role of, of a good research methodology. So yes. one of the things that you're going to be doing, and you'll be doing it on this show, is bringing uh, you know, some peer-reviewed scholarship that, that you're able right. to track down. To contribute to From the databases. Mm-hmm. Yep. And because, um, uh, well, we'll get to it in a, in a bit, but... We really want to tap into the, to the best research and also apply it to the, the day-to-day life of people who are, who are sometimes harmed by religion mm-hmm. but also helped by religion so they don't know how to, how to cope and to be discerning. Right. Well, yeah, which, which, what are the harmful aspects and what are the helpful ones? And then, yeah, sometimes we're surprised that even, I guess, some people sort of mention that the religious um, community was helpful, you know, through their... Very commonly. Their abuse or transition. That's what you studied. Also along the way, been with me in a lot of the things that I've done, right? So in you'll get to what those details are. But you've been along the way on trips, planning, uh, took a study trip to, to teach virtue and English in China with a group of students. You were the person the organizer, who ran. The, you organized it all. The you flights, rallied all us that, the and, and all that. So that's, that's kind of what you do, and that's kind of what you'll do a little bit on the show is, is bringing – the conversation together, and some of the behind the scenes pieces, behind the scenes stuff, mm-hmm. which also, I mean, I'll just mention this now. I am by nature, I'm an introvert, and I do a lot of my thinking, like do like, introverted thinking, and I've got to process it. I'm also, if you're familiar with enneagrams, I'm a six, <laughs> and so with that, I also want to, like, when my mind has an idea, sometimes I want to like process it thoroughly before I'm ready to speak it. And I just start mouthing off. Jeff is off. an extrovert. <laughs> I just start barfing thinker, and, and he just once just, in a while I get a gem that yeah, comes you, out of my mouth. As you say, you'll throw a whole bunch of stuff on the wall yeah. and just see what will stick. Well, I didn't invent and, that, that, that metaphor, but it is exactly what I do. Right. And so you have lots of thoughts and ideas and we're going to do some research and connections yep. and, and put all these pieces together. I think right? what you're trying to say is sometimes I will be talking too much. You'll talk a lot more than I do. And you're also... You're a professor, by yes. so you're used to talking a lot, and I am not. And so right. I will, every once in a while, pipe in and have maybe, hopefully, some pearls of wisdom. Um, but but for the most part, you'll probably you'll probably be carrying now, you've the got majority tons of, of the pearls of wisdom. <laughs> you, you you have most of the pearls of wisdom. I just then riff on them for twenty minutes. So well, you're you're really good at providing analogies and just bringing it down to earth. For folks, well, right? let me, yes, and I'll any, also any but, of these to, but back to you. I would say that we'll be driving down some canyon, and you'll come up with something, and then I'll turn it into a whole talk. This whole little talk. <laughs> <laughs> and most yeah. of my best talks are are stuff that that you've done anyway. So in in the in the professional life, as you've been a, a person who's been in the educational nonprofit staff world, you've also on the side been right there with the on the ground teaching, just outside of the classroom. Right. You know, it could be a women's retreat that you've you've right, helped to lead and yeah. speak to and those sorts of things. Uh, or we used to live on campus uh, where we were the, the kind of the house parents for international students. And, and students that and, wanted to live with international students. Right. So it was so. called Global Village. And in that, you know, you would put together the Thanksgiving. But also, you know, you were 
really roped in, but in a good way, you loved it as a labor of love, to a lot of emotional conversations yeah. amongst young people. That had some real struggles. You in know? a religious educational context. So yeah. you're right there with me now. What's my bona fides, girl? <laughs> so um, what, you've been in academia as a professor and administrator sometimes for over two decades, right? So you've been academic dean, assistant provost. You started as, you were the dean of the School of Theology. All along, I'm trying to teach most of the time. Right, because your teaching is your passion, which you have done, like I said, for over two decades, teaching uh, philosophy, theology, and history. Correct. Um, am I missing any other subjects? No, I mean I taught things that were out of my primary field. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, but I'm kind of an interdisciplinary dude, where um, I see all these connections that are really all for me. It's it's all intellectual history and what it says for us today. So what can we learn from the past? Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's material culture. It's it's art. It's it's religion. Well, and you've, I, I taught, you've taught you've taught in situations together. where where you did have the art professors teaching alongside of the theology professors. My, my first, the... my first yeah, tenure-track gig was, was at a college where we were putting four professors together in one block um, core class. So, I mean, that was just how I got into it, and I love that. Because mm-hmm. you know? it's all interconnected, and it's important. The, the other thing, too, is you um, have your DPhil from Oxford University, where you studied... Religious epistemology? Yeah, if that's a thing, you know, yeah, that's what I put into the title. There's like philosophy and religion. So how in the 16th and, century and epistemology means during the Reformation, how we know things, how we know things. Yeah, so, the so how we know religious things. Theories of knowledge in the 16th century is my specialty. But the fun part was, and you got to kind of come to some of these things. We got medievalists, medieval philosophy, um, Renaissance, Reformation history. Um, paleography with mm-hmm. Henry Meyer Harding. So the nice thing about the the UK, especially Oxford and Cambridge, is you get to you get to sit with world class scholars in a variety of ways. This doesn't always go on your transcript. And so you could go and you could kind of just specialize and not go broad, mm-hmm. but you also have the opportunity to go broad and like the difference between paleography and like, you know, modern right. analytic philosophy. Or and you just decided Derrida. to walk into a class and, and you would just show or up. Or seminars, and, right. And I'd be right. hanging out yeah. at yeah, early modern history seminars. Um, right. It wasn't like you had a course schedule. Uh, there were things that were recommended, but then there was all the, the smorgasbord. Yeah. So that got me maybe some bad habits. I like <laughs> them. I think it was a blessing. It's not great as a, as a, a way to get a tenure track job in American academics. Right, because you don't have all the neat boxes to check off. It doesn't fit the same way, mm-hmm. right? But at the same time, that ability to kind of see these connections and then put them together in a dissertation, that's kind of the whole thing. Right. And, and that's that's what uh, I've been doing. And then in addition to that, you're, um, you're an author of two full books and then also several journal articles. And it's mostly a couple journal articles, mostly chapters that friends chapters say, hey, you want to write a chapter? <laughs> I'm always writing somebody else's book yes. chapter, but that's low pressure. You know. And you were also uh, an editor of the... Associate editor. Associate Thank editor. you very much. <laughs> of um, the encyclopedia thing that, that was like what? Martin Luther and... The Encyclopedia of Martin Luther and the Reformation. Yeah, sorry. I'm not trying to... No, I don't, well, you, I, I don't think I, you've read it. It's all, so. <laughs> no, I haven't. I actually, that is... Well, I might have written... No, no. Because if you've... You've read every you've, single... Thing that you've written... Article. To help... That I to put help into edit, it. Yes. But you didn't 
but you didn't read the the, the whole no. like, multi volume. No, I'm joking. Of course you didn't. No, and of course I didn't read the whole. Book. <laughs> That's not how it works. But yes, so was, yeah. So we'll I think what, what you're, I page think in the encyclopedia what you bring out is today. so like you know the book uh, book on sexual ethics and in, in the kind of Christian context. Mm-hmm. Um, history of Lutheran higher education. So I'm I my all over the place. My bibliography is as weird as, as right. it sounds. Yeah, and it's same broad. with also with your speaking. You you speak speak go out there and speak sometimes to small rooms, you know, of maybe even ten, twenty folks, right? And then as of the summer, you know, up to over twenty two thousand. This summer is an anomaly because <laughs> because I thought we were gonna go to like a high school church gym. I did not understand this one, but it's a there's this big thing. But it's but the but the point is is that I love what I love this because this summer we had a little mini tour in our in our truck. You know, part of it we thought we were going to do more um, of the podcast during that time, oh, but we just so were staying up late, meeting with people. Well, and the other thing is, you were doing daily sessions as well um, during some of this time, but and the, these sessions would bring people up to talk yes, to us that and got us into conversation for a long tears, time for both of us. Just, so it was just great. We realized emotionally exhausting. Yeah, and we that was kind of when we even sort of switched, um, you know, well, some well, of what we thought the focus should be because yeah. of what we, you know, we knew discovered then. we knew that mental, emotional, uh, spiritual, and financial manipulation are all part of the same basic kind of pattern, mm-hmm. or they all have the same kind of pattern. But I don't think we realized how it wasn't just students that would come and talk to us and cry. And we'd cry with them. It was parents. Yeah. It was professionals that had said, church wait workers, a minute, I think I've been doing this wrong, right? Professors like, of psychology yeah. to say like, oh, I, 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 not so much just wrong, but there's, there's some things for me to really consider. And so we knew we were onto something. And um, I guess that's good enough for us, right? Like, yeah. You know, so, speak wanna, so what's the problem here? What, what are we hoping to address with this So podcast? again, the, the thing that every time over, over the years, we've wanted to do international education or or I want to talk about intro to philosophy. I want to talk about Descartes versus, you know, the continental philosophers. And what always comes up is the way in which ideas in general and um, religion in particular have been related to very unhealthy ways of dealing with various forms of manipulation and abuse. And it doesn't just break my heart. It makes me realize, made me realize at least, that we're not social workers. No, we're not therapists. We're not medical doctors. No. But what we bring to the table is a personal understanding of the way religion has been helpful and harmful to us. Correct. Plus then the the educational side. And that's what we're going to focus on. So what we're going to be looking at in this show and in all of our resources really is the way in which education, a bad form of education – can be very harmful to young people. But if we rethink the way we educate ourselves and everybody, um, this will be incredibly helpful to both heal and to prevent future trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, religious so we've, we've, witnessed, trauma. we've witnessed and researched and saw some patterns, right, that we are going to expand upon and show ways forward for healing. So, you know, in this conversation, there's all sorts of important voices. There are people that are survivors um, that can tell stories that help illuminate the patterns that are problematic. There are uh, there are allies. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are advocates. There's ad- activists. There's all these different roles that are important. There are psychologists. There are organizations that help people to kind of escape from 
these sorts of situations. What we're interested in doing is not any of that because we kind of got started a little bit. Yeah. We got roped into some things that were important, but they were very draining. Strength. Yeah, That's and it not, also yeah. It didn't. It didn't pull from what we knew. It didn't give us energy. <laughs> no, and it was yeah. It was it was it was hard. It was draining. Yes. But what gave? But what we realized what gives us energy is the is the the fun of actually looking at this thing for you as a six i'm a seven so we're figuring both, out this puzzle a little bit we're both more like thought people mm-hmm. when, we're, when we're dealing with problems but what we can do is bring our experiences and our observations about the way we educate and how this is going to help now here's so here's the three basic propositions right so we, we see number one that bad religion causes trauma so when we say trauma you can think oh boo hoo hoo you know everybody's overly sensitive no, we're talking about physiological reactions, sexual dysfunction, mm-hmm. the sorts of emotional and physical reactions that people who have experienced car crashes, combat. Mm-hmm. So again, so bad religious ideas are painful, are bad for your health. Yes. Then the other one, second, is even truth taught in a bad way causes trauma. So even if you think what you're saying is right, if you try to to get somebody into that, like a lot of people, like Saint Augustine, mm-hmm. the famous Latin saint, um, he was beaten if he didn't, you know, learn his Greek, and he never really learned his Greek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can have good intentions, and even maybe something that's a legitimately decent thing that's true, but in mm-hmm. an authoritarian and abusive way, you can cram them into the truth. In such a a way way. that it hurts them. And then the third point is people who have been subject to such trauma can be more susceptible to future trauma. And this was the light bulb that went on where we said, this is what we need to focus on, especially as we were going around the country this summer. Mm -hmm. That that the way that we've often taught people in religious contexts, whether it's Sunday school, church youth group, Christian colleges, Christian elementary K through 12, these can be really great experiences, but for a lot of people, they've been horrible experiences. You know, the, yeah. most comedians well, I see seem to be of uh, a background in, in uh, some Catholic school or something, mm-hmm. you know. And I think when, again, when the light bulb went on, it's that we are actually not just teaching people falsehood sometimes or ideas that might be problematic or painful, but by not teaching people to think critically mm-hmm. and to think what they think they should think trust their trust their intuitions more and believe what they think they should believe Mm -hmm. but instead say you think what i think you should think or you should let me tell you let me tell you how to think so all of a sudden what that does is it not only gives people an inauthentic belief system Mm -hmm. something that's been crammed into them or, or forced upon them but it also makes them unable to resist religious perpetrators but also just like bad boyfriends because we have not taught and i'm not just talking to the girls but this that's an example we are we are creating ill-prepared adults too often right by emphasizing the wrong things to emphasize uh loyalty to the group over truth for instance Mm -hmm. um uh, you know uh covering up problems rather than than being open and honest these sorts of things so again what what we've came to was that by teaching people in the wrong way, we f- we feel that there is a, a very strong connection between this bad teaching and this this epidemic mm-hmm. 
that you know, I'm sure it's been going on for centuries and centuries, uh, but it is a problem that is now becoming very clear in the news and in personal lives. Most people are going to be touched by this. Right. Yeah. So what, what brought you to all of this in the first place? Like, why are you passionate about this subject? Because uh, you are passionate. Not just a little bit passionate. This is the whole thing. All <laughs> yes. right. So now this is going to require a little bit of a story. And I promise you, friends, we're not going to just tell our own biographies forever. Stacey will chime in next episode on kind of what motivated her to be a part of this project. Uh, but I think it's helpful for you to know. If you don't want to hear about it, you can skip it to uh, you know a, a topical episode. Right? <laughs> yes. So, but he, but here's where it goes. My my folks were East Coast refugees. They went out to the middle of the country and in a in a VW bus, kind of classic, uh, kind of hippies, and ended up in Boulder area of Colorado. And that's where I was born. Um, the legend is I was conceived in an ashram. Uh, my parents at that time did not have a house. They eventually bought a house. They thought, and hey, we're having a baby. Might it's as well, right? Time. And, uh, and so, yeah, they were, you know, they were, they were leaving that, that world of the New Jersey, New York area, and they were making their way out, and they hung out with a lot of other counterculture people. But one of the things that's been really a resource for me, actually, is that my folks, to some extent or another, would bump into or dabble in new religious movements, or what they are now calling high demand new religious movements. But the idea is, we used to call it cults, right? These groups, they're like a little intense and, and <laughs> bad for you. But it's the idea that it's a cult that, de- that demands a lot of your life. If not all of it, right? Right, right. You are kind of giving up your own autonomy for the group. And so we can call them cults on this show. My folks had been involved in a lot of those, <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Weird kind of cults. And sometimes really famous ones, uh, sometimes like little, little side players like the Guru Maharaji or something. They were also involved with the Jesus Freaks. You know, so they, they were they there. They covered and, the whole spectrum. Yeah, so getting the stories from them has been helpful and also kind of probed or, or uh, prompted me to want to get into, uh, you know, researching all these groups and, and how it had negatively affected my folks at some point. But anyway, uh, they, they ended up selling their house. Making a lot making of money. some money, and they're like, "Wait a minute, wait. we should we should maybe get into <laughs> wait, this." this is something. They kind of got more conservative, you know, like a lot of people did in the uh, in the '80s. Moved out to Mission Viejo, California, where we found that even though we thought the West Coast was going to be real groovy and progressive and edgy, Orange County, California, was very conservative. That's the is whole. Very yeah, is too, yeah. yeah. That's the whole birth. Well, of actually, I should say it's changing. Rick it's Warren. very recently gone blue. In the Trump era, okay. But well, but so it's the whole the birth of Rick Warren and Saddleback blue. Church. Saddleback Church. We were we were there a part of the Calvary watching Chapel movement, that all start up. Hillsong, the um, the Vineyard movement, people getting baptized by hippies in the in the Laguna Beach. Yeah. Uh, so that that's that world. But but so coming and and in my neck of the woods, relatively white. Uh, when my my first experience in California, um, I was the one of only two white kids in my class. But once I got down to Mission Viejo, that was like, there was a little stopover. Um, once we got to Mission Viejo, it was very affluent, very Christian in, in its ostensible culture, the outside part of it. And, uh, and I didn't fit in at all because I had been, you know, trained in these kind of weird hippie values <laughs> back in Colorado that I should just believe in, you know, anything strongly enough and I could, do anything well in the force right the Star force was my was real your... religion <laughs> yoda said you know size matters not so i got in nine fights lost all nine fights because i was you know punching above my uh my weight class there and so <laughs> literally 
big people will always clobber you if you're just a little pipsqueak. <laughs> Beware. Yeah, Yoda was wrong. No, no matter so how they, much force. My folks wanted to kind of like, you know, set me straight here. Not, not that they really bought into it so much, but they thought it would be good for me, you know, to have that acclimation into the community. So they sent me to a, uh, a Christian school, and it was a very kind of fundamentalist school. And I was kind of interested because I like spiritual ideas like Yoda's. And I get there, and it was just the most... It was like pain. And I was a very shy kid. I was very, um, but I was happy. I had a kind of a joy for life. My, my, my brothers and sisters are pretty playful. Yeah. We joke you're, around. You're, yeah, your whole family, it's always like, you know, hip, hip, hooray. Yeah, we're having you know, a good time. Thing. And it just sucked the light out, life out of me. This is 1986. I'm in sixth grade. And, and it was like, it was There terrible. were a couple of incidents in particular. Well, that... like the first, okay, right. The but. first, I got to give you the first one because the first one was funny. I was sitting there. I was praying. We would pray every morning for like 20 minutes, 25 minutes, but it wasn't like a Catholic or a Anglican prayer where you've got like a liturgy where you've got these, these prayers that are in the book. Um, or no, prayers from famous No, these people. were just free lamps, just free, right? Freestyle, which is, which is actually... As long, as short as they need to. Right? And this one needed to go a long time. And most of it was, thank God that we don't have, like, the gay agenda in our school. <laughs> and thank, thank you, Lord, that we don't have to learn that we're So it's an advertisement evolved. for your education. Yeah, I'm like, why? God doesn't need to know this. You know, was, uh, the teacher saying, like, yeah, we, we, thank God that we're not there t- teaching them about evolution. And so we're so lucky to be here. <laughs> so um, the teacher said, hey, Jeff, you know, when, you're, when we're praying, you've got to close your eyes. This was in the middle of the prayer. And I said, uh, yeah, I know, but but your eyes are open. And she said, the Holy Spirit told me to open my eyes so that, that I could um, check to make sure your eyes were closed. And I said, I know. Um, the Holy Spirit told me to open my eyes to make sure you were doing your teacher job. And uh, also, I'm paying a lot of money for this, so I just want to make sure you were you know, working for me and, and, and staying on the up and up. And she was not happy about this. <laughs> I don't think so. And especially not in that environment. And yeah. so she sent me to the principal. Now, I've got to tell you, the principal, interesting thing, this is where God comes in. But follow me here. God was not part of this enlivening, joyful perspective on our education and knowledge. Mm-hmm. God was part of the uh, disciplinary system. Mm-hmm. So if the teacher couldn't keep me in, in, in control <sighs> at the classroom, mm-hmm. then I had to go to... The, the, the principal and if the principal couldn't get me to behave um, there was this this cricket bat that he had with holes drilled in it and he called it the board of education because he would whack you with it and it would be aerodynamic I guess he could whack you with and the it. holes made it extra painful you got to make sure it hurts right? well, and uh, and he used to love making this joke he said uh, this is the board of education and I like to apply the board of education to the seat of understanding and he laughed about it every time and Everybody else was kind of nervously laughed about it. Parents that were interviewing. It was just strange. Um, anyway, and if that didn't work, there was Gawad, two-syllable God. <laughs> uh, Gawad then would, would send you to hail yeah. um, if, if you yeah. disobeyed the proper God-appointed authorities. So that was just like ancient civilization, right? Like we need a constitution, Aristotle said. <laughs> Aristotle said that when, when he went around and looked at all the different um, establishments, all the different ways of governance – they always had this legend that they came from heaven, that what was going to enforce the rules was the threat that really the king was appointed, if not related to, um, by appointed by the God. Mm-hmm. And so 
doesn't matter if he was a bad guy. Oh, it didn't matter, yeah. If he was anointed by God, then... Right, he could do anything. Could do literally what? anything. Take your wife. Whatever. Take your daughter. Take your to. sons and put them into war. Yeah. That's how it goes. And so there's this connection between power and religion in that sort of sense mm-hmm. that's unhealthy. It's certainly not the the, the healthy, the best way mm-hmm. of thinking about it, but it was the one that I experienced, and it made me really sad. And there so was on, another incident that was particularly painful for you, which actually kind of started the whole trajectory, right? Like of what you want to do song? going forward. Yes. Ah, so then, um, so then, uh, when I was uh, in chapel on Friday, when one day, and I was just depressed, we were singing these songs, and the songs they were really excited because they just got a new synthesizer, <laughs> so it was no longer just piano; it was this cool synth, and they had the bell synths, and the bell synths now to this day freak me out. And it was a song in moments like these. So in moments like these, um, I sing out a song. I sing out a love song to Jesus. This is the lyric. In moments like these, I lift up my hands. I lift up my hands to the Lord, singing, "I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord." That's the song. And I was not having it. So I did not put my hands up during the song. And at the end of chapel, the teacher came over to me and said, you know, Jeff, you know, this is, this is not how you do this. When we sing this song, you have to put your hands up in worship. It's interactive. Yeah. Well, I guess interactive is fine. So I, but I'm like, all right, well, that's a crap song. They're never going to do it again, you know. So I'll <laughs> yeah, do Father like, Abraham. Maybe yeah. I'll do Father Abraham if you know this one, you know, or... Um, I'm uh, I'm in the Lord's Army. Yes, you know these, yes, I'm, yeah, I remember these children's all songs. But the uh, this one uh, I didn't think they were going to bring back because it was crap. But it, they did bring it back. I mean, it's aesthetically crap. I love Jesus and all this, but you know it's the aesthetics. Right. Of it. Um, so the next Friday they started with it, and they were all watching me. They being the teachers and administrators. So you were set up. I was totally st- set up. It was like a sting, man. It's a yeah. sting. So I didn't put my hands up because I really believed that if God. If God, um, it's a all powerful God that they're teaching about, right? He doesn't want me to worship, or she at this moment does not want me to worship out of fear of these goofball teachers. That would be inauthentic. That would be essentially blasphemous. And God knows everything, so God would know your heart. Yeah. So this is terrible. Now I'm in a situation. So I'm going to stick with not pissing off Gawad. Yeah, okay? that's that's the one to really fear. <laughs> all these human people. So I got right? they'll, they'll go away. Now, there are all sorts of other little things little infractions, me not putting my belt on properly or whatever. Okay. But, so I will say, sometimes when I tell the story, mm-hmm. I fail to mention that I didn't always tuck my shirt in properly. To this day, I don't like t- t- tucking my shirt in because that was what God wanted me to do. <laughs> anyway, the... Um, well, the, if you look neat on the outside, then everything's fine on the inside, right? They put me in detention and they, and they said, you know, when, you're, when you realize what you did was wrong, then you can... You know, then you can get out of detention, but I, but, but I didn't, and all I could do, I just had the Bible, so I had the Bible, and I could read the Bible, and I could um, do nothing. Those are my options. So mm-hmm. I read the Bible. Well, and you're what also ADHD sometimes, oh, right? A little, <laughs> and so, so, and detention. The problem is that that every time they would come back, I'd be reading the Bible, and I'd be like. Mm. I don't think you guys are right on this one. <laughs> I think I'm right on this one. And I started getting more and more interested in the Synoptic Gospels. That's the um, these the first three stories, or the first three Gospels in the New mm-hmm. Testament. I love John because it's all mystical and cool. But I, was, <laughs> but I was interested specifically in, like, this guy. And I was thinking, what if he was Obi-Wan or something? You know, like, what's he trying to say? Mm-hmm. As opposed to, what's this organization over here doing? What is he trying to say? And the more and more, I, again, I just realized that they were uh, doing it wrong. Well, they got tired of that. And eventually, I ended up 
in detention instead of detention because that cost money because you had to pay somebody 10 bucks an hour to supervise and i was the only kid in detention for the most part here and then they made it so i didn't have lunch recess or snack break time i just had to sit in the lotus position ironically on the grass uh at playtime where everybody else played and ran around around and i started to become like a fixture like a fire hydrant or a, or a bush and i could kind of hear and listen to Christians talking about their lives. And I noticed two things. One, that the, a lot of the young people who were pastor's kids and missionary kids, people who had grown up in a conservative, uh, sometimes fundamentalist Christian home in Orange County, were miserable, mm-hmm. like I was. They were too afraid to admit it. Mm-hmm. But they said, one said, uh, and they were doing like drugs and stuff that, Hey, wait, yeah, almost like really guy. early. This is elementary, so this that's yeah, scary. it was like sixth grade, you mm-hmm. know, or at least they were lying about it. But it was, you know, they had enough terminology. And then um, one of them said, "When I turn eighteen, I'll never darken the door of a church again." So I realized there was something really wrong here. That th- this whole thing, people were spending thousands and thousands of dollars to get their kids to go to a Christian school to be brought up in the faith and then be strong in their faith and pres- persevere in it. Right. And they weren't doing this. But instead, they, were they were running realizing, away. Yeah, they were realizing and they were just what they don't want. Miserable. And then I noticed that the yard duties, the, the, the teachers and the staff members, when they weren't being spotlighted, when they were on the sides, they were kind of normal people. The average, they were, no, they were very uh, abnormal in one sense. But I mean, <laughs> they were broken the way we're all broken, right? But like, they weren't the super evangelical that they put. The, f- the mask on of being, right? Mm-hmm. So they were pretending to be a certain kind of very upbeat, very happy all the time, evangelical with their walk with God was just great and all this. And they were sad too. And they were also kind of intimating that there were a lot of these uh, often affairs going on, you know? So it wasn't like it was any, it, was, it didn't seem significantly more happy or moral, but it was also very oppressive, Mm-hmm. And I saw that there was something very, very fishy about all this. Yeah. So at that very moment, um, I was sitting there cross-legged, and I, I had this realization that I needed to someday become a professor of religion, and whatever that means, theology, whatever this means, so that I could help bring freedom to these kids who, for some reason, were so – they were marinating in – the language of Jesus, mm-hmm. the symbols of Jesus. But missing the entire point. They, they missed this beauty. They missed this liberation. They missed this, uh, we'll, we'll call the Tao of Jesus. I'll explain why that is later, but it's in one of the books I wrote, where the Tao, Tao in Chinese just means the way. So instead of the way, way doesn't sound very powerful. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, where are you going? You know, <laughs> it's the way. The way, like with a capital but the Tao w, is like, how do you flow this flow? How do you surf this life out? Mm-hmm. And Jesus had some great things to say. These kids couldn't hear because the people who had the badge of Jesus were horrible to them. Right. And they had stolen the logo, as it were. They had, they so had, they were teaching a different message. It was a hostile takeover of the Jesus movement. And it was both harmful to the kids as a very bad set of ideologies or ideology. And it was also obscuring from what I think was a pretty good message from the actual Jesus. Right. So I decided that I needed to become a religion professor, theologian. And so I just stood up uh, defying the authority of the teachers. And I just started running. And there was this gal said, hey, don't forget <laughs> about the, the, uh, board, of the board of Education. 
And uh, I said, I know, that's why I'm running so fast. And I started running, and I ran through the bushes. I ran over fences. Now I'm scraped. I'm bleeding a little bit. I've got dirt. I'm sweaty. My hair is disheveled. I run over uh, a couple fences, and I run into a strip mall. And uh, I can see some of the vans with the, the church logo, you know, the, the school logo on it. They're all looking for me. And I run into a bakery. And uh, this bakery is the Heidelberg Bakery. And the older gentleman who ran the place he um, he let me hide in there. And I said, listen, I know this is weird <laughs> that I'm a I'm a kid. There's some crazy people. There's some crazy religious <laughs> people going to hit me with a cricket bat, you know, if I don't, like, do their religious weirdness. <laughs> so if you could do me a favor, I'm going to call my dad. I'm going to go hide in the back until he comes. And then if he needs to send me back to get spanked, that's fine. But I just, dude, come on. So the old man, he looked at me, sized me up, and he let me hide there. Wow. And I, and I hid, in, hid in there. Eventually, he gave me an apple fritter and a, and, a, and a hot chocolate. And I waited for my dad to come. My dad came and picked me up. My dad, being, being uh, you know, hippie, he, didn't, he wasn't buying this. And so he said, hey, you know, son, I'm so sorry that I, I, I didn't know this was going on. Mm-hmm. I would never let you or force you to have um, to deal with this if I knew. So, yeah, you don't have to go back to that. And he said, I'm sorry, I, I, we shouldn't have gotten mixed up with these stupid, crazy Christians in the first place. And the old man said, you know, but hey, not all of the Christians are the same. And I said to the old guy, I know, because that's, that's why I'm going to tell him all about it when I become a religion professor. <laughs> okay, now, yes. this is a story that I promise I, I'm going to promise not to really tell anymore because I've now told it to too many venues. But I figured this, this was helpful to understand where why? you're coming from and why. I've got a chip on my shoulder. There's no doubt about this. I tend to be skeptical about religious leaders because a very good many of my life experiences with them, not all of them, but many of them have been very damaging to me. Right. So um, while I love religion as a subject in the academic world, mm-hmm. and while at a personal level, that's like, well, we talk about spiritual stuff right. and, and like right. philosophy. Um the, the 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 scene is so stinky sometimes and so constraining and so claustrophobic. But more importantly, in 1986, I knew what I was supposed to do with my life. Right. That's very lucky. I've had a lot of unlucky things. I've also had a lot of lucky things. And the most lucky thing that I've had, I mean, fortunate things, blessings. It's all a blessing in the end. We'll find out. But the thing that was so great was that I at least knew that ultimately that's what I was headed for. Right. And here you have this idea that you're going to be sitting there teaching about all these ideas in the classroom, right? And instead, what you find that so much of your job actually ends up being in the office with all these students and Is that same trauma? And that, yes. And that you're seeing happen over and over again. And I can't just talk about Henry VIII (laughs) and and the, the English Reformation. No. It's how all of that fits in with abuses of power and the state and the church and people's personal lives and, and all of it. But this is what's great about this. So let me say, as a very positive note, I am so stoked about this new part of our lives. Right. Which I think, unless something else changes, we, we, I want to dedicate the next phase of my life now to this subject alone mm-hmm. in various forms. Speaking, writing, we're doing various things. We're going to be uh, coming out with a book called Protect Your Noggin with Jesus. And I want you to understand that there will be potentially folks that are not related to Christianity that we will use for future studies. Could be Socrates, could be William of Ockham, who is a mm-hmm. Franciscan monk, but, you know, more philosopher. So uh, maybe even Lao Tzu from, from the, the Tao Te Ching. But 
but but because our background is in the Christian world, we hope that you, dear listener, if you're in any kind of thing that's resembling religion, like a softball club, um, Amway. <laughs> any, any community gatherings, really. Yeah, Because it can happen groups, in any group families, settings. We're going to use the, the language of our Christian experience and friends of ours who have been in this similar kind of thing um, because it's what we know. So who is this podcast for? It's for everybody, but especially it's for people who are in religious contexts, specifically, in this case, Christian American religious contexts, and educators, people who are going to be teaching about this faith. Because I think a lot of other people will benefit from it because we've already experienced conversations with people who have, who have had bad experiences in, in, uh, in Buddhist contexts, mm-hmm. in Hindu contexts, in Scientology, in, in sports, mm-hmm. where sports is treated like the religion mm-hmm. and the, the, the priesthood and, the, and the, 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 the clergy or the coaches and all this, and you can't question them. So these patterns are going to apply to other things. And but if you're a parent... Your parent, you're, you're educating. You're educating. We're teaching all we're all passing on social ideas. So that's what we're all about. We're going to take a break, and when we get back, Stacy's going to share with us a few quotations from uh, some research that backs up the, at least the first part of this uh, theory that we have that bad religion can be painful for you, and that teaching people in a bad way is also very traumatic. We'll be right back. Okay, hey friends, we're back. I am apologizing. Normally my voice isn't this scratchy, but we are in a very high altitude and mm-hmm. very dry, dry place. When we started out, Stacy, where would we go? One of the big things was Tucson. We are yeah. in the heat of the desert. Oh, it was, it was sweltering. It was so great. I love Tucson. I've got a poster of Tucson oh, we had in so much fun. the RV here. We were there. We were there for a festival, and um, but it wasn't like those festivals where it's not like Burning Man. No, it was just small venues. From one of the coolest desert rock music scenes, everything from kind of punk to to uh, Milena Cadiz and folk and it's stuff we loved. It was I was so in love, so in love with Tucson, yes. but it was hot. It was so hot. we turned left. <laughs> so we said, "Wait, we need to go north. We need to. We were going to go to Florida. We need to surf. Friend, we need to surf Scott. the Dow here a little bit and not fight the elements so hard right. by going across the south." And it was, and, the and there was also a hurricane the, at the time. Yes, so we and turned so we're left. Like, we're going to go. Yeah, we're going to go north. Um, and we were able to experience. Um, I, we we figured we increase elevation. And then definitely the drop in the temperatures. And now... It took away my golden voice. I think, I think today, though, it's a high of like 52 degrees. So. We went from 112 a few days ago. <laughs> so what do we got, Stacey? What are we going to be uh, kind of basing some of this reflection on from the scholarly world? So we have a book and then an article that really kind of helps like bring a lot of that into perspective. So the book is by Philip Grieven, Spare the Child, The Religious Roots of Punishment and the Psychological Impact of Physical Abuse. And that is uh, published in 1991. And then the article is by Donald Capps, Religion and Child Abuse, Perfect Together, a journal for the scientific study of religion in 1992. So the following are the primary ways in which trauma manifests itself. Um, One, repression or amnesia regarding the experiences that were so traumatizing. So I, I used to, you know, if 
focused on pain and it it would just get at me and I would be angry and frustrated with it. Right. And I realized actually, no, you have to like love on your pain and, and, and forgive it and, and recognize that it is there, there, it is there for a reason. Right. Yeah. But fighting against it is, give it mercy, you breathe into it. It's basically allowing it to just like prick at you. Right. But if you breathe into it and give it kind of mercy and like, you know, like, oh, like that shoulder, it needs to be, you know, it needs to be cared for. I totally forgot about you know what you're doing right now. You're, you're, you're reminding me that I totally forgot in the introduction of you oh. to mention what your, your latest stage here is. And that is you're no longer working in the nonprofit world. You have uh, moved into being a certified yoga teacher. Correct. So you're kind of giving me some yoga kind of stuff where you're talking <laughs> about, about the your pain. The pain yeah. and your body and all this. Um, but what you used to do was very different. Oh, yes. So <laughs> there's a lot of thing, a lot of memories I have missing. I think that I just sort this of this is not so much repressed memories. I it's mean, like it's maybe like it's gaps, like gaps in childhood. Gaps. Like yeah. I, you know, like and then when like all of a sudden something will kind of like flood back to me, and and maybe you know like it brings a tear to my eye, and I'm like remembering like oh I had that horrific reoccurring nightmare that. I just let myself totally forget about for a little while. And, and for the most part, while there are things that you had found uh, inappropriate or uncomfortable, it's not like severe traumatization. But what's no. interesting is that's the way... I just repressed it. I would forget yeah. about it. And even yeah. even if like we have an argument or whatever, I forget the details. That's, and Well, that... that's real. <laughs> but you know, I've noticed, I, I guess I've noticed that there are painful events that I remember very, very vividly. And you're like, I don't, I don't remember that. So yeah. I, if I can see you having amnesia for these difficult events in the last 20 years of our lives together, then very clearly that could have happened in the past. So that's that first one. So if you find yourself, especially with respect to a religious community or involvement, kind of not remembering stuff and then all of a sudden saying, hey, yeah, hey, didn't we play yeah. that game Buck Buck where we were all kind of grabbing each other in the youth group? <laughs> Wasn't that weird? That was yeah. weird. But you, you forget about it. Because mm-hmm. you don't know where to place it. Right. right. That's that first one. The second one, mind splitting, where the threatening experience is cut off from the rest of one's thinking processes and not incorporated into them. You know, I honestly, like I see that so huge when you got, you know, you go, I don't know, you go to church and you behave a certain way. Right. Mm-hmm. So for me in, in my own personal experience, I mean, this wasn't even that horrible, but it definitely felt like our neighborhood friends, the people that we went on vacation with people that we hung out all the time, they weren't church people. And that so was one world that, that was one in. world. And then we would go over on Sundays and then also operate and go to, you know, Bible studies or whatever, you know, as youth if that group, was the whole world, you know, so there was two different worlds mm-hmm. that, um, I think my family sort of lived in. And unless you're in a, that's you're in a public school, unless you're in a private school, that's almost always what I see with young people, especially like freshmen, college freshmen, where they would be very devout in their religion, but their religion is this little island in an otherwise normal, Mm -hmm. secular, I say normal with quotes, air quotes, (laughs) secular life where they're, Drinking beer with the rest of the people after prom or whatever. Um, their or lives think are... of, or think of how different your the your business world life is, your professional life versus yeah. your your church life, and how the people that you hang out with at church and how do you act around them versus when you go get maybe a drink with some of your coworkers after work. Like, how do you behave in that scenario? For instance, we have a family member um, that is in church work, 
And they were very kind to take us out to um, a very nice place. We were visiting in their their neighborhood and checking out checking out the outdoors. And uh, we were having a nice time. Maybe had a little, a uh, couple little cans of mimosas or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. little spritzers. And uh, then there were there was this real relaxation. We all felt this real relaxation. You know. And this isn't to judge the family member or even the other people that were there, but it was just that world where when you see somebody else that's from that club, the religion club, all of a sudden you're hiding the beer. There's a the, the the person was very much like, Oh, we gotta yeah, hide the hide the beer, just don't let them see it. Right. And the the thing about that too is there this is like a pastor and a pa- you know, and the yeah. pastor's wife. And I think And these are parishioners. And They're parishion- all probably so, hiding beer in their bag. Right. And and I guess the part about it was that they, you know, I think sometimes it has to be awfully hard in that role. There's certain expectations that people in yeah. your community, like they hold you up to some higher standards or something. And it's hard sometimes to be yourself, you know. Um, but it's that but it's that fact that you can't be the same person. Yeah. That's what we're saying. The board. By the way, friends, this is why we're giving you these these quotations. If you want to understand whether somebody in your life or you yourself have been in some ways experiencing religious trauma, this is what the manifestation of that trauma looks like. Does that make sense? Right. So the reason we're reading these parts of the article is to help you understand how to even just begin to start to identify these these so patterns. when you're when yeah when your faith gets compartmentalized into a certain segment of your life and because you can't integrate it because you can't integrate it's it it's a bad sign yes <laughs> and all right let me, let me give one more because it's a joke it's a joke okay why do you always take two bad this is an old joke baptist <laughs> baptist it's a little bit different now but in the old days the joke was why do you always take two baptist fishing why because if you take one you'll drink all your beer <laughs> but if you take two they won't touch a drop <laughs> and that is based on this very that the joke idea. is based on this very idea that yes. that 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 we we just put this huge wall between our spiritual lives we compartmentalize that and then we live mm-hmm. the rest of the way so number 3 withdrawal of feeling or affect a blandness or roteness in thought processes uh, associated with the threatening experience so this one really hit us hard when a friend of ours texted us a picture from a long time ago from a church service where we and some other friends were in pews and this photographer happened to snap a photo of our faces and my, my everybody looked miserable in the picture. my son was miserable our friends that our were friends were nearby. miserable i wasn't having it people were aggrieved i said like is this what what's the, the face, point of this what's the point of it why are we wasting our time just you're bummed out. Yes. <laughs> and, and you know, you can, I'm not saying you got to like entertain. I, I don't need you to entertain me. In America, we spend a lot of time and money on having these events where we talk a lot to God, about God, mm-hmm. with God, whatever. But these events, if you're going to one, just because it's called church or whatever your religious group calls it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's good for you, mm-hmm. that particular one. Right. Right? And, and more importantly, the, the idea that you should just kind of almost whip yourself or endure well, church to kind of get points with the Almighty. And, you know, and, and sometimes, like I must admit, I mean, I've been to many, many churches, and, and, I, and there's so many times where when I, I can just sit there and go put my mind somewhere else so that 
in a way, like I kind of check out, right? Especially yeah. during the sermon. Like when you're in jury duty and you're just trying to twiddle Get your Get through thumb. it, you yeah. know? You know, and then you're... Well, no, I mean, jury duty is probably more interesting. <laughs> I'm talking about like the waiting to see if you're going to be called for jury duty or and I, and I find traffic my, school or something. And I find myself thinking about, gee, where are we going to go to lunch after? <laughs> you know, what yeah. What kind of grocery shopping do I need to do for and, the week and ahead? Look, people do that in my classes. But here's the, here's the big takeaway. If you and or your children come away from your enca- encounter with your religious community. When it's been a threatening experience. But when you come away, if you are not filled with more energy, peace, are you breathing deeper? Is your heart coming down? Are you feeling reminded that we in the religious community say are part of something that's healing and helps us thrive Mm -hmm. if that's not what the experience is that's a red flag even if on paper you'd say i agree with what they say they teach if you're coming away and you're not happier if you're sadder Mm -hmm. if you're if you feel like the world has gone from color to gray or if your children are acting that way be very attentive Mm -hmm. right and this like and again and especially in the context of a threatening experience you hear about maybe even like i don't know a youth pastor being creepy being creepy and you're like oh yeah that's just what bill does yeah it's bill you know or <laughs> whoever but like that's a problem that is a problem which is brings us to point number 4 there we go. the loss of confidence in the testimony of one's own perceptions and senses regarding these and similar experiences that is when the subject is discussed one tends to defer to others and to their perceptions and judgments so they don't trust themselves they look to other people if everything else we've said those other signs this is probably Didn't one make of sense. the most important. This last one is the one that's at the center of our three theses. You have no self, you have no confidence in your own perceptions. This is what we call gaslighting in another context, which is you have so broken someone's ability to think for themselves. To think for themselves. That they just look to others to say, oh, how do I react in this? Like, what's the pro- appropriate behavior here? Cause so we're in episode one of a really big quest to kind of understand and to, and to un- unravel this, this conundrum we're in. But this is the big one. Bad theology is not just bad because you're going to have the wrong ideas and God's mad at you. Bad ways of thinking about God, bad religious ideas are not just unhealthy for you. They are absolutely dangerous for children, mm-hmm. for all of us. But I mean, look, we care about the most vulnerable, often kids, but it's not only kids. But well, when you break you can, somebody's will, you can you can trick them in anything. And if we can start with the kids, then eventually they can help heal their future kids. Right. And, yeah. I mean, and for a lot of sometimes even their parents. Yes. Exactly. But keep this in mind, right? A lot of times when parents are, let's say, unwilling to uh, rally behind their kids who have made an allegation against a religious leader, part of the reason is because the parents themselves have. Uh, had this uh, this way in which their their agency has been removed, mm-hmm. their sense of being able to make those kind of clear headed decisions has been removed, all because of bad religion. And sometimes, yeah, it's because of loyalty to the group. So let me give you an example. Yeah, so this is actually um, from Billy Graham. He's getting spanked, and this is in his biography. 
And the quote is, his father would sometimes withdraw a wide leather belt to apply to him. Once, when he was discovered with a plug of chewing tobacco bulging in his cheek, another time, snatching him up from church from a, from a church pew where Billy had been fretfully squirming, shoving him on out into the vestibule and there strapping him thoroughly. Over all the years since then, Billy maintains that he still remembers most about his father is the feel of his hands against him. They were like rawhide, bony, rough. He had such hard hands. In one instance, after Billy had gained some size, his father stood over him, flailing away with the belt as Billy was lying on his back, and I broke two of his ribs, kicking with my legs. So here's this evangelical leader, and this is part of his backstory, being ripped out of church and beaten. And what was he doing? For squirming in the pew. And why is he squirming in the pews? Because for some reason, it wasn't quite working for him. Oh, and think of all those poor kids that always are squirming in the pews. So his his it's interesting that he became a great evangelist, but for a lot of kids, that's just like bad memories, you know, of being... Well, if if, if you just being a kid and causes them for you to be physically, beaten. yeah, beaten... You're kind of just being the way kids be sometimes. Right. And we we would say, hey, kids, you know, we I, I really was pretty proud of, of ours in that we said when we're sitting here... Um, this is just what we do. You can't, it's not right. going to get us anywhere. And if you need to, we're going to, you're going to have to go outside. Right. Um, but it was, it, eventually they wanted to be with the big people, right. even when sometimes it wasn't all that thrilling for them. But, but I still feel like, you know, sometimes bad about this idea that I'm, I'm going to do something really horrible if I don't force them into some boring thing. Because right. it could be like some special Tuesday night thing or whatever. And if they're just out of their minds, not tracking, am I doing it out of fear or out of a desire to grow and find emancipation and enlightenment and whatever? Well, fear of punishment is definitely a huge way to control the kids' behavior in churches. Yeah. And adults in continuing to come back. That fear of punishment and hope and hope of reward, right. fear-based religion is what we're really going to be kind of trying to move away from here. Right. There's another quote here um, Jim Dobson, from Jim Dobson's famous Dare to Discipline. So this is great because if you've got, you got the two, you got Billy Graham, the great evangel- uh, evangelist, evangelical evangelist, Jim Dobson, the evangelical culture warrior, uh, real big, especially at the time when they were spanking us in the school – because he had he had that idea of tough love. So it says, Nothing brings a parent and a child closer together than for the mother or father to win decisively after being defiantly challenged. This is particularly true if the child was asking for it, knowing full well that he deserved what he got. The parent's demonstration of his authority builds respect like no other process, and the child will often reveal his affection when the emotion has passed. For this reason, the parent shall not dread or shrink back from these confrontations with the child. These occasions should be anticipated as important events because they provide the opportunity to say something to the child that cannot be said at other times. It is not necessary to beat the child into submission. A little bit of pain goes a long way for a young child. However, the spanking should be of sufficient magnitude to cause the child to cry genuinely. After the emotional ventilation, the child will often want to crumple into the breast of his parent, and he should be welcomed with open, warm, loving arms. 
At that moment, you can talk heart to heart. You can tell him how much you love him and how important he is to you. You can explain why he was punished and how he can avoid the difficulty next time. This kind of communication is not made possible by other disciplinary measures, including standing the child in the corner or taking away his fire truck. Wow, that is some quote. Well, listen, and it, <laughs> it, it sounds really strange to us, mm-hmm. but for a lot of people, even liberal uh, pastors in the 80s, this was on the shelf. This was something that they, they thought, like, this sounds like the right well, attitude. And I know from my own personal experience, because I was punished with spankings, and, and yes, like, it was funny, too, because my mom, she never, like, she never could hit hard enough for it to ever, like, really hurt, so that, you know, that genuine cry, you know, we would always just fake the the pain and we got away with Dobson's it. Dobson's going to make sure that that doesn't happen. <laughs> right. But like my dad, we would get the genuine, you know, the your genuine dad, pain, the, the cry. We would actually like cry for reals. And I, and I remember it, you know, cause we'd get spanked and then we'd have to sit in our room and think about what we did wrong. Yeah. And, um, I remember sitting in there. I wasn't like, I was just sitting there thinking like, I'm getting pissed off, you know, yeah. like I, I was hit. This I is not see, cool. I like, can see little Stacy doing yeah, that. Yeah, like, like that. I wasn't thinking like, oh, I can't wait for my dad to come back so we can like have a heart to heart. You know, <laughs> I, I would say, I would say, F- that. Like, there's, I don't want. I'm not going to have a heart to heart with somebody that just like literally caused me pain. And I was, for me, like, I was the kind of child that um, it wouldn't take much to correct me. I was trying. To your problem was you're a little bit too behaved. <laughs> I was trying to like, be a good child. You're a rule I, follower. If you, yeah, I was a rule follower, the ultimate rule follower and perfectionist. So yeah. all I needed was a conversation and I could right. have been corrected. I, you know, I did it's not. It's not hard to make you break down and cry. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. You know, and, and, but I know, I mean, I. You're not weak. I'm just saying like you. you no. If you, you to, to, when I say For, to not make, to I make was, you break down and cry, get you to see how you have failed to live up to the standards of an authority, of figure, an authority figure. It wouldn't take hardly anything, That's it. you know. Because as an Enneagram six, go look it up, friends. <laughs> we'll talk about it someday. Uh, you want to be loyal. Yes. And so what's interesting is we're looking at the ways and, in which there's these authoritarian problems, but your profile, your psychological profile, uh, would be in a weird way both given to authoritarianism, but also you're so strong-willed that you just you don't really like you 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 need somebody to really demonstrate that they deserve to be to be the leader an authority. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can't be in a weak sauce for Stacy to, to, to march <laughs> with you. But um, but the the other problem though is that that though not for you maybe, but for a lot of people that is how you get people into abusive relationships. In other words, when I read that, what terrified me about that was, and I'm sure will upset some people. Listen, I hopefully you don't like just shut us off because we just now like took one of your heroes and said that we don't really buy that. But the fact is what Dobson described there, I'm just saying this, what Dobson described there is what happens in a lot of abusive marriages, for instance. Mm-hmm. So there could be violence and then, then there's the makeup time, yeah. the, you know, the licking the wounds and we'll take, I'll take care of you. Yeah. And so like that pattern, yeah, it works. It's you're all gonna, for your own good. Gonna, you know, I'm going to do a little bit of fluttering lips, crying, but now I'm cuddling and that feels good. And then that creates certain patterns that aren't always the best. Now, listen, if you want to write in, if you're a psychologist, tell, tell us that, that, uh, there's new research to show that Dobson is spot on, but 
that doesn't even matter for us right now. We're not talking about so much how to, to discipline. What we're saying is that there's this connection in American evangelical fundamentalist Christianity between the tough love, the fear of punishment, mm-hmm. in the teaching of religion and the teaching of ethics, right? Teaching of morality right. and belief that in my experience, and at least even though it's anecdotal, I guess over and over over the years, um, and in your experience, it's just not working. Well, and also... Um, or if we, it does work, they're in a dangerous spot. But keep... We went fairly recently to a Mockingbird conference where we heard um, Alfie, Dr. Alfie Cohen talk. And that was very fascinating, which I think we'll have to devote a whole episode yeah. to that. But basically... He's his, a psychologist. He's a, he's a psychologist. Education yes. psychologist. And his, his point was that when we're doing education with the fear of punishment or hope of reward... Um, that we're doing it wrong. It, and it's that counterproductive. It's, it's, yes. It, and we have structured a society that cares about GPAs and awards and valedictorians. You but know, not like, about learning. And, and you're missing the entire point of what it needs to be. Learning needs to be a self-motivated love of the subject. My favorite example was like dinosaurs. Little five-year-old kids just love dinosaurs. They'll, they'll, they know all the terms. They could, they, you know, they could, the most longest dinosaur word ever, you know, yeah. they know exactly how to pronounce it. But once you have the competition and grades, it takes the fun out of it. I know even people that loved studying and it be- like, the Bible. And then when they went to a seminary, even though it was a seminary that was say conservative it still believed you know in the like kind of traditional teachings it the very process of studying the bible scientifically or like kind of dicing it up right made them uh, and then doing it and then doing it for uh, for grades it made them uh, lose their love of the bible yeah and uh, that was a sad that's a sad thing Especially if that's your job now right. <laughs> as a professor of like the Bible. Well, and and then it, and it becomes scriptures. it it all becomes about th- that grade or the winning right. of it all. And and anyway, so that was again. We'll we'll have to. Well, th- I think probably the, the thing about Cohen is interesting. Episode. There is because like Dobson says, the only options are you could spank him, or you could make him stand in the corner, or make him go to the room. Alfie Cohen says that... Or take away the fire truck. Right, whatever. All of that is like really abusive in its own way. It's not like we're trying to be abusive. I mean, Mm -hmm. we we did the timeouts or whatever, but he's saying, like, now I'm jumping into the Cohen thing, but it's like, if if you're bad, you don't get get nourishment from me. We're going to cast you out. If you don't act the way I want you to act is really the way Mm -hmm. it gets down to be, right? It's not so much be good or bad. We guide behavior... Based on these rewards or punishments that make the parents happy, right? That never allows the child to just learn for themselves to become something, to be something yeah. for the critical thinking. Don't part. cause me trouble in church. Don't cause me trouble at the dinner table. Don't cause me trouble while I'm talking to most importantly my it's, friends. And cause me trouble. Don't make me look bad. Don't make me look bad. That's the sad part. All right, but we're yes, we're we, we go digress. back to that. Yes. Anyway, um, back to uh, the caps article. So the first, so so this this first part about like these evangelical leaders shows that this is just kind of part of the culture, but that part is I think for some of us understandable. We know that this is what happens. That there are these kind of strict families. They you know they think spare the rod, spoil the child. That's not our main focus here. Our main focus is on the second part where he then 
Caps, as he was doing this article, he was sitting at a lunch table with his other professor friends. And he finally kind of realized that that there were not just physical punishments or other kinds of abusiveness in the religious upbringing, but that there were ideas that none of the parents or teachers knew. That were so traumatizing. That they, yeah, the ideas themselves are traumatizing. So, so one example yeah. is uh, a woman reported that as a child, she believed that she had committed the unpar- unpardonable sin. Yeah, the unforgivable sin, which we will definitely discuss on an episode. Its own, its own whole thing needs to be right there on that. Right. But so that's the one where you, you can't. You're done. It's like it's it's it over. Game over. And what is that? Let's avoid it. Right. Um, and then how do you avoid it? Because what is it? Anyway. Yeah. And no amount. And in, in this case, no amount of the 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 different Christian explanations. Like if you committed the, and this is true, if you if you committed the unforgivable sin, you wouldn't be worried about it. That's kind of probably what the meaning is. But we'll get more into it. But that didn't help her. Just this idea that she could have thought something right. just one time in her life and then be forever cast out of the loving presence of the divinity. Right. Was like and that's traumatizing. If you believe it, it's traumatizing. I mean, and how do you not? When do you know? How, that- how's it not traumatizing? when you don't really let it integrate with the rest of reality, when it's right. just this little Dungeons and Dragons game you play. And I think a lot of you, dear, dear listeners... But are, I think that the problem is is that you carry that all the way with you even in the background and then especially have to confront it on your deathbed if you didn't do it before. Yeah, so it's a lingering thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I mean, what is the unpardonable sin? What You know what I'm saying? And, and did yeah. you ever cross that path? And then, you know, now you're going to have to answer for it. But even if, even if that's not the particular thing, I was going to say, like, to the good, to the good listener, if, if you think about it, do you really believe the things that you're saying? Because a lot of the times... You if, can just gloss over something. Yeah, and like if you, you don't that, internalize it... That goes to the thing, the earlier points that Caps was making, though, is the mind split. Exactly. Yeah. So that how do you deal with that idea that the, that the so-called loving God of the universe, if you think the wrong thought one day when you're 12... That you... You're doomed. There's no hope. You're going to be boiling in pig fat for eternity. Then you take a smoke break, and then you're going to go back to eternity in pig fat and burning in hell. And you're just some kid. I mean, it, we, are we telling the kids to take it seriously or not? If we're telling them to take it seriously, we have to be much more careful with the way that we present some of these... These ideas. These are very intense ideas. Mm-hmm. Next, Another second. one is a man worried as a... As a boy, that he might eat of Christ's body and drink his blood unworthily. So this is, of course, really <sighs> close to home for a lot of churches that that teach the importance of this. I remember when we were in one church uh, that wasn't the denomination we're in now, um, Dutch, and they only had communion four times a year because they were kind of scared of it. Right. You didn't. You didn't want to mess around. You, yeah. And, like you. You know. You had to spend safe. a lot of time, and this was an old, sometimes old Catholic practice too. Like you know, you're you're announcing that there's going to be communion, and now you've got to either go to confession or get your heart right. Right. Get your heart right before you. Oh boy, it's coming. <laughs> take that communion because, I mean, it's like poison if you do it wrong. Yeah, that's a scary thought. Now, I don't care if you you think, eat and drink judgment. If on that's your theology, then then hold it. But just note that that's a terrifying idea that you never really quite know if you're, if it's worth, are you worthy, worthy or not? And like the problem for us too, like in, 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 uh, in the evangelical upbringing we had, if you didn't commune, it was because there was sin in your life that you weren't really repentant of, which might mean that you weren't really stopping it. Right. And for a lot of young men, it was a, uh, about 
masturbation. Right. Something you really couldn't almost help. But I remember it was like sad. There was like one time when there was a young woman in the high school group. She was in the big church, you know. And we all kind of knew that she had been promiscuous. Mm. And she didn't go for communion. Because she knew we knew. Right. And so before, you know, when she was still sinning, she... Yeah. Now, um, that may be, again, your theology, but that's a lot of pressure to put on adolescents to say, do I stand up and go forward claiming righteousness before the great judge? Anyway, yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. Again, so these are another, just like casual conversations around the lunch table. Yeah, another, another one, um, and this one to me, it just really gets at my heart, but a man recalled being assured by a church school teacher that if he'd had an, enough faith, his prayers would surely be answered. When he prayed for the recovery of his aunt, who was afflicted with cancer, and then she subsequently died. So he was devastated. Um, and because he was certain that he had prayed with all the faith that he had, as he put it, the life went out of my faith at that point. So that's, again, that moving from color to black and white spirituality that comes when the bad theology, you didn't have enough faith. His his aunt died because he didn't do it right. Yep. And, and that's I've been a on lot this of pressure. You know, Stacey, I've been doing this. The, I, people like when I, if, hey, come, come hire me to come talk. Or Stacey and I'll do a workshop or whatever. And Stacey will do yoga for you, whatever. Here's the thing. Um, there's one talk that I love to give that nobody ever thanks me for. And it's my, my talk on why pr- when, when prayer doesn't work. And it's largely, I'll go to like liberal pastors' conferences, or I mean like a, like a, a, a progressive denominations, pastors' gathering conference, and I'll talk about this idea when prayer doesn't work. And I don't care how liberal they are, no, no, prayer works. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus might not have walked down water, and maybe Moses didn't part the Red Sea, but prayer works. Right. And I said, well, like, okay, yeah, we can unpack this. But what you're saying to people sometimes sounds like it's this transaction that, like, you put in 15 prayers and then you're going to get your keys found. Right. And when it doesn't happen, you didn't have enough faith. Yeah. There's something in you. Or, or your God connection, doesn't love you. Your connection to God isn't that close. Like, that's, there, that's right. the other funny thing, too, is sometimes, you know, as, as you probably are aware, being a theology professor, and I'm sure pastors hear this a lot, but they want sometimes those people that seem to have a closer connection to God to say grace, to say the prayer. No, but and, and prayers yeah. on their behalf. Sure. Oh yeah. Right. Right. When right. they have, when they really want right. and something, that's what clergy do. And it's a good thing that they do, but it's this idea that but there's they, a status that somebody else has that they that couldn't have. They don't have that. That's where it becomes, yeah. I think they don't have access mm-hmm. and that the clergy are the gatekeepers. Right. Is that, is to that the, the end? communication with God? Is that the end of the bad examples? That is the end um, from Caps. One. Yeah, I got one. Let's, and that let's is hear my it. mom. Okay. Like, so one of the things for my mom is like, she they were my my mom and my my mom's sister were uh, German Lutherans when they were younger, um, and I had this like really ex- interesting explanation of how they ended up being United Methodists. But then recently I asked my mom and she said it's just because it was closer. <laughs> so funny. like I thought there was this great story <laughs> that the, no. the, grump, the Germans were too grumpy. That would fit my narrative. But no. Um, no, but my mom was... And supporting your local church. My mom good... was never like, you know, she you know she had spiritual beliefs, but she was never really that interested in Christianity because of or, a churchiness, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Because of something that happened when she was a kid, I think she was in kindergarten, maybe first grade, and she had this little Jewish friend and the Protestant teacher in a public school 
um, just kind of said, well, Protestants teach that if you're not a Christian, um, that you will go to hell for all eternity. And uh, then the little Jewish girl says, like, well, what, what does that mean? What's a Christian? And is Jewish Christian? She goes, no, Jewish isn't Christian. And she urinated her pants in her little chair mm-hmm. in an in a elementary school. Now, whether you believe this is true or not, that's a that's worse than saying that Santa Claus don't exist. <laughs> Say, hey, little girl, you yeah. and all your ancestors, oh, yeah. um, you know, you're like all your relatives that have died recently, they're all burning and that's in just hell for all eternity. One and you're portion of the population. Six years old. Now you've got to magnify that to all the other people, right? Like, it's not just that's just one little example. Like, that's overwhelming. So all of this pain that's been caused by something someone said with their mouth in a way that was well-meaning, perhaps, and um, arguably true or arguably false, but something that's going to cause that pain. And that's objective. So that little girl, Peter Pants, whether or not you think the truth was said. Right. And I'm, for one, thinking that however that was said probably did not have the desired result. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, like, maybe, you know, maybe, like, the Hitlers need to learn how to pee their pants a little bit before uh, divine judgment. And I'm not... Hitler's an easy one. I'm saying there are people that need prophetic words. Yeah. I'm pretty sure a first grade kid, you know, at 830 in the morning isn't uh, one of them at that moment in that way, you know. Right. Uh, so anyway, that was that was but that my, that that turned my mom off to the whole to the whole thing. Said what what, what kind of religion is going to cause this kind of pain right. to and- a young girl? Yes, and so on that note, um, actually two little final thoughts from Caps. Um, One is that shame along with the fear are the most common experiences of torment caused by religious ideas. So shame and fear. Yes. And look at this, so you just, if if that's the main theme, if that's the main thing you get rather than a a religion of love, that's that's also a warning sign. Yeah. And listen, we're going to say over and over, regardless of whether you're religious or not, that experience or the need for a sense of judgment, vindication, um, righteous indignation, um, a calling to accounts. One of my favorite concepts lately is the, um, is the concept that comes up in so much reggae music of Armageddon, which is, you know, uh, yes, associated with Rastafarian ideology, which we will maybe get to at some point because mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting. But the, but the idea of Armageddon is, is the revelation is a good thing for some people and a bad thing for other people. And, yes, and yeah. for a lot of these reggae artists that I find just fascinating, they say, hey, Christians, did you read the book of Revelation? <laughs> if you've got, you, and you've got nothing to hide, then, yeah, then, that's you're, right, you've then got you're good. But do you really want the judgment to come? Right. Because you've been doing it wrong. Right. right? Like when Jesus comes back, he's like, you, what have you been doing in my name? And this theme of Armageddon is of, of kind of looking at all the powers of the universe, or of the world, all the... Uh, the the piled up kingdoms that are now dust and rubble, it's it's that judgment. It's like it's like how'd that work for you, right? You know, and and so we're not against. In fact, a lot of this show we're going to be talking about punching back sometimes at at some at some things that are deserving of righteous indignation. Right. But uh, at the same time. Our the, focus, what's though, the focus? Our focus From fear is, to love. is to try to find healing. Yeah, peace. And, and how to stop perpetuating these some of the, the dangerous aspects, yeah. right? Yeah. 
Um, there was another thing you found. One last thought um, that that uh, Caps mentioned and, and around the, those that lunch table, when asked whether they could recall similar experiences with tormenting ideas in their classes in public school, none of the lunchmates could recall a single idea that was threatening in the same fashion. So what this means is you could have had somebody say something that was sad, like the Holocaust happened. That's a sad thing, and it makes you sad, but it's not traumatizing. At least not for some people. Not tormenting. No, mm-hmm. no, no, no. It, it could be, but what, but what he's talking about is a very specific phenomenon, right? So there learning, could, learning about difficult things yes, does not that's traumatize hard. people. No. Sometimes what's traumatizing is actually kind of suppressing the reality of right. those things. Right. If you can't admit yeah. that this happened in history, what's that tormenting is pain. are you ever good enough? Have you repented hard enough? Are you worthy enough? Right. Those things are tormenting. Right. Do you believe enough? Are you doing it right? Are you do- right? These are tormenting. Um, the universe is older or younger than you thought it was. Those are things that can be. Um, uh, okay, like I disagree right. or whatever. It, the, the point is, I don't, I can't think of anything like that. There are lots of thoughts. Um, the idea that that like that I would lose my salvation if I masturbated is a tormenting thought. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, the idea that they napalmed kids and and foliage in Vietnam is a is a horrific thought, right? So so this is kind of where we're going with with the the way in which religion has a specific and often a more sinister way of being able to really get under the, the skin and, and, and into the noggins of people. Yeah. That pattern, or, or that, that adjust the patterns of someone's life and the trajectory of some, someone's life forever. And, and I, uh, when, when I was speaking at the, the Viking Stadium, which was weird, uh, <laughs> and which was weirder was I, my main theme really was around the story related to Father John Misty, right. who grew up as an evangelical kid, uh, left the faith, but he said in a relevant magazine article uh, th- uh, that you can't really get the Christianity out of you. Right. It's, it's like a, it forms your it's, worldview, it's, and and so the how you landscape, then pr- you, you interpret everything. Right. Like yeah. even if you even if you've walked away from it right. at some level, it's still it's in your system. Yeah. To view the world with yeah. those eyes, it's like America. America is kind of Calvinist even if nobody thinks they're a Calvinist. Mm-hmm. That idea that if you're successful, it's kind of God's providence, um, all sorts of other ideas. But we're like liberal and conservative Americans are both kind of puritanical, just for different reasons. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, like it mm-hmm. was like Tipper Gore, a Democrat who was against cussing in the hip-hop music and the, the heavy metal in the 80s. Right. There was, which moralizing is is part of American. So what I'm saying is America in that sense is a Christian nation. Yeah. America is a Christian nation in the sense that the framework, the language, some of the basic worldview pieces, even for the deists that didn't believe in traditional Christianity, that was still their background. That was still their formation. Right. And with this, um, we had a recent experience where we were talking to a young gal who had grown up in a very small community um, that was like 127 people or whatever. And she basically, we, we asked how she, you know, enjoyed her, you know, her, what was her experience growing up in this town? And her response was... Well, it was funny, too, because it was a hippie town. Yeah. There was also cowboys. Her response was, well, you say it because I'm forgetting the exact language. So she basically said, I have grown up in a town with five different religions. A concentration of five religions. And they are all judging me for different things. So religion was just five different sects that disagreed. And what do you think they were? There were some people that were vegans and they were mad at her for, for eating meat. Right. 
you know, it, it go yeah. So she either you know wasn't Republican enough. Her, she wasn't. Her Baptist like, aunt was mad that she was drinking. You know, her Wesleyan right. cousin was mad that she was smoking. Anyway. But she was astute in noting that those are all different kinds of religion, you know, and sometimes yeah. probably cults. And they were judging her for. There was only like things. a town, like less than two hundred people, and it was just like everybody was so intense about it and judgy about it, and it wasn't uplifting. And she was sad. But that's the thing. What I said, if you encapsulated her response to how how was it living in this town, the reason it was a problem wasn't zombies or fleas. <laughs> or a bad economy, or or, or a, this high school football team was too small. It was religion, right? And so, if that's true for just some young woman we run into on our travels, and, and her so experience with religion was judgments, yeah, it wasn't love and fear. Yeah, it was judgments and fear, and and, and it's the idea you're doing it wrong. Yep, yep, and and. Hey, we hate to say this, friends, though, but for most of us, we ourselves have probably been complicit in doing it wrong. And so in many ways, I think that part of this isn't penance so much, but we want to set right some of the things that we've been a part of. I think we've been pretty good about seeing some of these things internally, intuitively, to Mm -hmm. try to push back against it. But even being a part of some of these systems and not realizing how just the systems themselves, even through association with right. with with Christianity in America. That you've contributed can somehow, to some yeah, of this. And it's hard. Ways. So we're trying so, to figure out what to do with that. And and there's always hope going forward. There's always, yeah. you know, you, you can't beat ourselves. <laughs> we're not going to beat ourselves up turning, for doing There's a it turning wrong. back. There's a change. You know, if can, you're a parent and you didn't discipline right, who, it's like, all right. Because you know the one great way to, to make it all just so beautiful, because we've all screwed up, is go to your kids or go to people in your life that you've, if you're a teacher, and and you've got a relationship with a former student that you maybe email or talk on the phone. Say, hey, you know, I'm sorry if there are ways in which I was trying to teach you the truth and it didn't honor your agency or your intuitions or your thoughts and right. your critical thinking. And I think that could be the thing that just lets them breathe deep again and, and at least begin the path to... To mm-hmm. something really, really beautiful. So, hey, we're going to go ahead and take a break. Um, and when we come back, we're going to take a listener call. Hi, my name is Cheris. Um, and I was just wanting to leave a message about leaving a religious group. I guess I would say I'm probably still in the process of that. I attended the same small Baptist church and school for my entire um, growing up years in school age and kind of breaking out at 18. There was a lot that kind of happened after that, decisions made that, uh, well, that affect the whole life, I guess. Um, And what I've come to see about that time is a couple of things. One, I was rendered powerless in my faith. And there's a lot more to say about that. Um, The second thing is there was an avoidance from engaging in certain conversations and topics. And I think that resulted in a shallow faith for me and um, and really a constant sense of guilt that I continually deal with on a daily basis Um, and trying to hear the right voices when it comes to that. And another thing is, while at the same time I was being taught morality lessons, from a young age. And I think that in in my mind put me in control of my redemption and unable then to think critically. Um, I think I'm almost out of time. So there's more to say, but I am so excited that I can be free in Christ. 
Wow, that's just that really was upper alley. That's every. <laughs> it's mostly a lot of it covered all the topics that we, you know. Right. I mean, and so she she was illustrating a lot of things we've already said, and of course, things we're going to be talking about in the future. So we figure this is good as good as good as anyway. <laughs> this is as good as any place to start. One thing I noticed about it right off the bat was her name means grace in Greece, mm. <laughs> in Greek. <laughs> her name means grace, or you know, grace in Greek, and that's like the best part of the teaching of Jesus and when churches do it right, when they bring grace and mercy and compassion, um, that's a really beautiful thing. It sure is. Um, strangely in many people's experiences our our experience that often when a church calls itself <laughs> grace, it's not necessarily given that out. Right. And that's, that was something true. And I'm not, I'm actually not talking so much about our, the place where we met when we were kids uh, but more of a, a another just across large the board. Yeah. It just seems like maybe the part words of, don't always mean what they think they mean. Well, <laughs> and I think you know, there's a weird sense in which I think, and this is just come, you know, just off the top of my head, that what the some of the things that you fear is important to you, yeah. and so then you put those in the name. But it's you also grace, the thing that you're kind but of you're lacking. But you're focusing on the wrong things. Mm-hmm. I get it because of your fear of lack of grace. And but so anyway, I don't want to, you know, uh, call back, please, at some point, and maybe even um, give us another message. I think what we're going to do is we're going to uh, work to expand the length of time you have. I didn't uh, want that to be the case that it, it cut you off too quickly because I think these things do take some time, and we can always edit them down. So uh, we're going to try to expand that. But uh, so again, feel free to call back and even elaborate more after you hear our response because um uh, again you had only a, a few moments to kind of get your question in but uh just playing with this for a second there are ways in which it's very possible that our folks um really appreciated that part of what the message was and that that is something that they were celebrating right but even if that's true and this is something that happened in my own life uh, naming my oldest that there's this infusion of the the kind of religious aspect of your identity into everything. Yeah. Right. So you're naming the kids, the, the names. And I think in some ways that could be really good, but in other ways it just shows that here's a, a woman who has been thoroughly uh, socialized in all of the schools all the way through. Yes. So her name, 18. her schools, all of it. And it could be good. Or it could be bad. But the point is the reason this is so important, this stuff so important is because it affects people's entire lives. Even more than, say, the Boy Scouts or, or, or chess club or something and that was really meaningful. And she's still wrestling with some of her, that, her guilt that she mentions that at the end, that she's still wrestling with some of this stuff. That's the part that – and we, we give you all of our, our wishes for yeah. warmth and love and peace because even, even right after you said this, you'd gone through uh, this process – um, of leaving, you say it's still a process. Of course, it's always a process that goes back to the John Father John Misty and thing. And it's still you, always going to be a part of you because that, and, and and you can't and don't want to deny that. Yeah, um, because it is. It's an important part of your life, and, and the it images, forms who the you, Bible stories, and it forms who you are. Yeah, it, it's all part of your story, right? And you can and you can go into a chrysalis and come back out a butterfly in right. a different way. But there's but there's always going to be this part of you, and 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 that's okay. But all of the schooling, all of the, the, the life there, it still made me sad that I'm, I'm sure, you know, who knows what decisions were re- referred to. But guilt about decisions, um, I'm not 
entirely convinced that those weren't natural reactions to hormones or well it could be that it could be whatever but like i, I, I wouldn't know but wouldn't. for a lot of us the, the things that might be results the way we act as young adults sometimes might be the result of our upbringing more than our own wickedness sometimes right right like like the 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 bad ways of coping or something i mean so so much of the guilt um is put upon us even if we know at a conscious level at an intellectual level that we shouldn't feel guilty what i really want to emphasize is later on one of the shows we're going to do very soon is going to be working on the difference between shame and guilt mm -hmm. and that um, what really I think you're experiencing is shame because shame, shame is, is put upon you always as a tool people. for control. Yeah. It is, it is about fear. It is about your in inadequacy and it's a way that people can exploit you Yeah, for their own ends. And it might be very benign, like just, Hey, come to church more or, or it could be very, very bad. Like give me all your money. And sometimes it's just an example that other people will see. And how yeah. you were shamed and treated. Yeah, to, and you're to... an example to keep everybody else in line. Right. Yeah. And and that, that, that bit about being powerless in faith, that goes right to that lack of uh, agency, that lack of trust and perceptions that yeah. is so important to the to the research you brought out. But she and she had mentioned how there was taboo on certain subjects, essentially, right? And that was another piece, yeah. So you're not talking about everything. That's something we're gonna do an episode on as well. Yeah. Um talking because through it is important, all of these, even the subjects that you think are too difficult to talk about, it is so important for for you, you know, as a parent, that you address some of these issues with your children, that you have open conversation and not shy away from their difficult questions. You know, like there's so many times when it's so easy to just say, I told you because I told you so or something. Um, and when kids are asking questions, and it's okay if we don't know the answers, you know, but we'll go into more yeah. detail on this in a future episode. But it because just shows it's you such an important. It shows you how concept. the long-term um, connection to and thriving within a religious community can be. But uh, when when you don't thwarted when you don't bad education when you don't hear good advice on some very difficult areas and aspects of life, then you you stumble your way through, and you feel shame and guilt in the yeah. process, yeah. you know? Um, and, and it's just one of those things where, um, yeah, like you're just, it's, it's the opposite of empowerment, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so these themes, this is going to take us a long time to unpack. Uh, Cheris, your name means grace. You have graced us with your presence. Yes. We, we uh, wish Thank you, you for all sharing of, the, so much. of the, the love and joy in the world and the freedom and the freedom from fear and uh, moving into the and love. And we would love to hear how your growth yep, is continuing. Keep going yeah. Because it is, this is the key thing. And lessons that making you learn moves, along the way. Making moves that are religious moves, even just from Methodist to Episcopalian or something, can be very difficult. It's hard to move to a new town when you're in high school. Your whole world changes when you make significant intellectual or religious uh, shifts or relational shifts, you know, mm -hmm. and so we're so grateful uh, for you, Cheris, but for all of you who have uh, listened to us, episode one, season one, these topics are going to get tough. We're going to try to have some fun with it. And don't but forget to, you know, we want you to be a part of the conversation. So please submit your comment or question online, as we'd mentioned earlier. Um, and we would, we just love to hear from you. Now we're in, we're in this together. We wish you peace upon peace, friends. Thank you.
you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter low too much.